Welcome once again to a Baseball America podcast, everyone, along with Josh Leventhal. I am John Manuel. We thank you for the download. Apologize for the delay. Some technical difficulties last night. We recorded a podcast and screwed it up, so we're doing another one. And Josh, it is your maiden podcast voyage, so we'll just talk up yesterday to a uh, to a dry run, I suppose. A little rehearsal. I'm sure there were some uh, kinks I could have worked out, so happy to be back. It was a dress for once again. It was a dress rehearsal essentially. Uh, it was. And, and and you're dressed today for for the for the occasion. Great handbook T-shirt on here for handbook fever with the handbooks being delivered today. I'm looking out for the truck outside. I expect to see the truck anytime. When the truck gets here, that means that I will say, "Oh, my hip is really bothering me. I won't be able to go unload the truck today." That's right. I may make an Alan Matthews like uh, <laughs> exit from the office. Until really physical labor. Plus two on the Alan Matthews physical labor reference. That's outstanding um, and deserved. But uh, we're moving on here in 2008. The Baseball America 2008 Prospect Handbook will be in our house today. It's kind of like Buddy Hackett is in my house. house. The 2008 Prospect Handbook is in my house, and that's going to be awesome. So we hope that you're excited as we are. Labor of love here at Baseball America every year. 30,000 strong publication this year, the Prospect Handbook. So we got lots of books to sell. If you haven't already bought one, please do so at BaseballAmerica.com. Click on the store in the upper right-hand corner, or just on the middle of the front page, there's a big Buy a Prospect Handbook link. So It'll be going fast, I'm sure. I think a lot of people have already ordered. You can order at BaseballAmerica.com, and uh, we hope you'll do so. And, Josh, your maiden contribution writing style to the Prospect Handbook this year, and it's American League Central. Uh, we're posting those top tens. And the we did the last two teams alphabetically in the AL Central, in your Kansas City Royals and your Minnesota Twins. Right. And uh, let's talk about the Kansas City Royals first. And by the way, we didn't uh, get any questions this week to podcast at baseballamerica.com, but reading more reader email remains our New Year's resolution here in 2008. So send those questions into us at podcast at baseballamerica.com. I do think uh, Josh, most people just submit their questions in the chats. Right. Um, and you'll be chatting on the Royals next week, as I will be on the Twins. Okay. And uh, let's talk about the Royals. And Andy Royals. A little controversy, I guess you'd say, at the top. Last year, Luke Hochaver was the number two prospect, sandwiched in between Alex Gordon and, and Billy Butler. Right. And this year, Luke Hochaver actually falls to three, mm-hmm. getting bypassed at the top by their first-round pick, the number two overall pick in the draft, Mike Moustakas. Not a huge shock, but Daniel Cortez... At number two over Luke Hochaver. Let's first talk a little bit about Mike Moustakas, my favorite Greek prospect right now in baseball. Right. Um, and by because of that, he's one of my favorite prospects, period. Um, we know Mike has a plus yawn tool, as we saw in the uh, in our Baseball America Gala, in the uh, post-Gala photo. What else does Mike Moustakas have going on that made him the number one prospect? Despite the yawn, he was pretty pumped to be at the uh, He at was. The gala, he was. was. He was pumped and honored, I would say. All right, as were his parents. Um, he seemed very nice. But uh, Moustakas, uh, obviously, was probably the, the best uh, high school bat in the draft. I think he was the best bat, period. I think, he's be- I think he's got a better chance to be a star than Matt Wieters, personally. Right. I really like I like him that much. All right. And so that, there's, there's no question about that. The only question is where he'll play defensively. Um, he's probably going to be uh, too big, too bulky, not quite enough range to stick a shortstop. So he has uh, the best infield arm in the system, a cannon of an arm from, from what I've been told. He's really not. Uh, you would see him in person. You don't. He didn't look like a shortstop. No, no. Not so, in a suit. 
someone comped him to eventually having a, I think it was a Jim Tomei-like physique. Ooh. I really imagine Tomei staying at, or playing at shortstop. So whether he moves to third, whether they have Gordon there right now, uh, or you know, it would kind of be a waste of an arm to play him at first, so maybe he'd go out to right field. I don't think they'd move him behind the plate because that would slow his development too much to, to get to the big league. And that's the thing. I really do think, tools-wise, he'd be perfect as a catcher. Right. I, I think he'd be, because uh, his arm is so good. I mean, right. just, I mean, this is a guy who's throwing 97, 98 as a high school closer. Right. And he's, oh. got, he's got good hands. You know, they say he'll, he'll field whatever he can get to. It's just going to be a matter of what he can get to in the long run. And who knows, in this day and age, at least for the short run, without artificial turf to worry about, maybe he can stay at shortstop, you know? Right. Uh, maybe he's athletic enough or agile enough to stay at second base where arm strength is actually underrated because I think if you have supreme arm strength at second base, you can play deeper, which extends your range, and arm strength is crucial on the double play turn. So uh, you have to – if you don't have enough arm strength for short, that can move you to second base, but you do need to have arm strength over there. And there, you know, there's uh, the offensive profile certainly fits at second base – they're going, to, they're going to leave him at short this year. They'll give him a chance to play his way out of the position, probably playing at a low class A in the Midwest League. So. Well, we're just disappointed they sent him to the wrong. Uh, they sent him to the wrong rookie league affiliate. They sent him to Idaho Falls and not Burlington, North Carolina this year. And that was disappointing. We wanted to see Mike Mustakas in our neighborhood, or to use the phrase of the day, in our house. In our house. But we did not get to see him in our house. Um, it's a little Carcinio reference for whatever reason. I don't, I don't know why. I did not even have this finger elongated today. But uh, it's a Baseball America podcast. I'm John Manuel making the bad jokes. He's Josh Leventhal bringing the reality to the proceedings. Luke Hochaver, not number two. Let's get back to that. Daniel Cortez, jumping from number 30 last year up to two with a bullet this year. Um, really just kind of seems, Josh, like the definition of a projectable pitcher. Right. Well, yeah, certainly nobody made a bigger leap than, than Cortez in the Royal system. Uh, he really, quite literally, grew as a pitcher. He, he added an inch and uh, another 10 pounds or so, and his fastball uh, increased from 89-92 to 93-96. That's a plus-plus fastball. Right. That's a, that's that's border. I mean, if you're a starter, maintain that kind of velocity. You're pretty close to the top of the line. So right. that's that's a that's just something that's just rare to find a 70 fastball, and it's and he throws strikes with it. It sounds like right. Good command of it, and he also has a, a plus curveball, just a true big breaking curveball. So he's got two above average pitches, two above average pitches. He's he's still young. Uh, he's going to be what twenty twenty one in Double A next. Right, week. yeah, it's a nineteen eighty seven birthday. Um, and here's here. This is part of my theory on pitching, uh, Josh, where I diverge with our esteemed colleague Jim Callis, and I've talked about this with a few scouting directors lately. You know. I don't believe a, a starting pitcher necessarily needs three or four pitches to succeed if he's got two great pitches. Right. Uh, and uh, there are a couple corollaries of this. First of all, you got to have a great fastball. It all starts with a great fastball. And to me, there are three aspects to what makes a great fastball. Velocity, life, and command. I think I'd actually rank them command, life, velocity. But you could, you could uh, the, the, number, the other two are interchangeable. But if you have fastball command, you're going to succeed in the major leagues in some form or fashion, in my opinion. You're going to get to the big leagues if you have true, average, major league command of your fastball. And he's got plus-plus velocity. Um, I haven't seen David Cortez. I don't know the scouting report. The life on the pitch is really above average. But 
he's got a 70 fastball in terms of velocity and you, you take in the fact that he throws strikes with it. So he's got two of the aspects down. You can keep him off balance with the, with the big curveball. Which sounds like an, an average pitch, if not an above average pitch, right. at the, by the time it's all said and done at the major league level. Right. To me, if you have that kind of fastball and one really good secondary pitch, why would you want to throw a third pitch more than ten times a game? To me, his third pitch has to be a show-me change-up or a show-me splitter or a show-me slider, an early count third pitch that you really never want to throw when you need an out. All right, well, it's a change-up right now, and he does, they say he doesn't really have a particularly good feel for it at the time. Uh, maybe maybe that will improve with some more experience, and, and this year it will certainly be a, a big year for him. Uh, he's going to a more hitter-friendly league. And their new Northwest Arkansas affiliate. Who knows what that ballpark will be like? Well, that's how they roll in that in that organization. Uh, in the past, with Wichita and, and Omaha, they're two of the more offensive ballparks in offensive leagues, the Texas League and the PCL. And now they're. In, we'll see how Northwest Arkansas plays. It should be more pitcher friendly than Wichita. You assume only because Wichita has always been pretty much of a hitter's haven. But they anticipated being a hitter's park in northwest Arkansas, too, I guess. I would think so. I don't know. Yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll see how it plays out. Too much Walmart money in uh, northwest Arkansas for them to not to build a nice park, at the very there, least. There you go. They're excited about Who is, uh, as we try to wrap up the Royals, I guess, who was your biggest surprise in the Royals list? Who fell maybe lower than you thought when you started doing the list? And who was kind of your guy who, the, every time you kept writing about him or you kept talking to people about him, besides Cortez, kept running up your list? All right. Well, the, the, one of the bigger uh, surprises in, in where he ended up ranking was was Levansky, who when I started... Right, Chris Levansky. Chris Levansky. When I started the list, I think I had him, certainly had him in the top ten, but just in talking to people in the organization and scouts and, and, and you and Jim and, and others in Baseball America, uh, his, his value uh, definitely seemed to drop in that. He's, he's hardly the player that he was when the Royals took him Early in the first round, what was he a six, seven overall? Fifth, fifth or sixth overall pick. It was pretty high. Back then, he was a very toolsy, speedy uh, center fielder with potential to hit for power, and now he's he's really filled out and slowed down and uh, is, is a defensive liability. That's the biggest shock to me. This was a speedy center fielder. Right. I guess you'd expect that even if he slows down, he'd still be competent in left field, but it sounds like he's marginally competent. Maybe right. that's a little too harsh. I don't know. But it sounds like he's not very good out there. No, he's, he's not good. They, they tried him at first base, and he didn't really have a good feel for that either. So if he gets to the big leagues, which which I think he will still. I think you'll still see him in the big leagues, and you may see him there this year. Uh, it's bad that's, that's going to get him there. It really just sounds like the ceiling is a lot more limited than you would think for someone of that draft pedigree. Right. right. So, and, uh, and he did last year what, what he's done. Sort of typically in his uh, uh, minor league career, he struggled at a new level. So we'll see how he does when he, when he begins AAA again the, new this year. The left off a 40-man roster available for all in the Rule 5 draft and not selected. Um, not a great sign, in my mind, for Chris Lubansky. Who was the guy who kept rising, Josh, to wrap up the Royals? Who did you... Uh, I guess it was... Is, or is there a... Your, I guess we had to pick this year in our draft... Uh, in our... Uh, not draft on our depth chart, a sleeper in the organization. Who's your royal sleeper? A royal sleeper? Or if you wanted me to also characterize it as your pick to click in 2008. Was uh, Mario Lisan. That's, That's right. That's how you pronounce the name. 
I think it is Mario Lisson. There's uh, there is a, a wide range of opinions on Lisson. Some people thought he could be a, a top ten guy even, and others thought that you know, he shouldn't be on the list anywhere. So he. <laughs> he, he, he made the depth chart. Uh, he had uh, a good year in, in Wilmington last year and has definitely some power potential, but really sort of lacks a command of the strike zone. Uh, Boomer bust, it sounds like, right, right. from Mario Lisson. All right, so if he, he, he's a solid fielder, he has a good arm, good range for a big guy. Some said that he could even potentially move to shortstop uh, later in his career. Because he's been a shortstop, he's moved to third base now, Right. but he... Still has enough agility to go play short, I guess, in a pinch, huh? Right, right. But he's a bit of a free swinger, too much of a free swinger. He had, he had a good winter league. Uh, not sure what his stats ended up being, but he was uh, among the league leaders in home runs for a while. So, so Mario yeah. Lisson is kind of your pick to click, huh? We'll see. It'll be interesting to see how he does at double A next year. I guess the main point is uh, pretty underwhelmed by, by the Royals as your first organization to do. Right. Well, they, they they have some depth of pitching, and they have some good young arms there, and, uh, but they really lack an impact bat, which you could see, uh, I think, was the reason why they, they traded away uh, Billy Buckner. Right. Alberto. Cayaspo. Cayaspo. That was a shock to me. Uh, where would Butler have ranked on your list? He was, I guess he was in your top ten, correct, by the time when the book went to press? He was. He was, he was number four overall. Um, he still has some of the best stuff in the system, uh, but just sort of lacked uh, some command of it last year. Well, he suddenly ended up number seven. Uh, I mean, not number seven, seven in home, seven home runs in Venezuelan Winter League, which the league leader had 15. The number four guy had nine. So I don't know exactly where he checked in the league leaders, more than likely in the top ten. Right. So Baseball America podcast, he's Josh, I'm John. Uh, we could touch on the Twins top ten if you wanted to, uh, Josh. Uh, yeah, I know but you probably don't want to get me started. Oh, come on, John. Let's hear a, a quick take on your, your number one pick, which is a bit of uh, you went a little off the charts on that one, would you say? Or? I went off the board pretty much the whole Twins system. Uh, suffice it to say, I don't think the Twins farm system is very good right now. Um, and they really don't have an obvious top prospect. There, I can't imagine there's a consensus it appears there's not even a consensus within the organization, Josh, and I think that's troubling to the Twins. And this is clearly an organi- organization, or as they say in hockey, an organization that is in transition. Uh, we've got a new general manager. They've moved their scouting director of 14 years, Mike Ratcliffe, into the vice president of player personnel. they got a new scouting director in Deron Johnson. Uh, they got the whole Santana thing hanging over them. Um, they traded for Delmon Young this offseason. They just don't have an obvious number one. Uh, I went with Nick Blackburn, uh, who was not their number one in, in the organization. And uh, Nick Blackburn has, uh, you know, I think he's just very, very interesting. And he wasn't even on the top 30 last year when I did the list. In fact, he wasn't even on the depth chart. Really? So what's so, about him that, that propelled him all the way? It's everything about him, to be honest with you. Um this is a guy with track record. He was 90-93 with a good slider in junior college, and that is who he is again now in the interim five, six years of his pro career between when he signed and when he, in 2007 when it finally came together for him. He's had significant knee injuries. His weight ballooned up to as high as 260 pounds. He's listed now at 205. Um, I'd say that's pretty fair that he's 205, but he's a big guy, 6'4". Uh, he's finally in shape. 
Um, and his velocity returned to what it was as an amateur because he was in shape. He was able to do his uh, training in between starts. He was able to lengthen his stride and his delivery. I told the one organization just this week that Gray's fastball is a 70 fastball. Um, you know, there's some reports on the Internet about Nick Blackburn that are wildly inaccurate. Right. that have him with, an av- with average stuff. He does not have average stuff. And I haven't talked to one scout who says he has average stuff. In fact, I've talked about six in and out of the organization that say he has plus stuff. And I'm really tired of reading that he has fringy average stuff. This guy's 90-93 with his fastball consistently. Uh, when you count up his innings going to minor leagues, major leagues, and Arizona Fall League this year, this guy's getting up to 100, close to 190. I'm pretty positive it was over the 180 innings barrier. He was 9.93 all day in the Arizona Fall League championship game. Six innings, he was dominant. Um, This guy's always had a good slider, always. And it's frankly more of a cutter, more of a true cutter, Um, and it's a hard pitch. I had a scout in the Eastern League tell me it was 87.89, touching 90 with his hard cutter slash slider. That's a good, good pitch. Uh, it really is a pitch that allows him to pitch effectively to left-handed hitters. The Twins always could have put this guy in middle relief as a fastball cutter guy, and he would have been effective. But they stuck with him as a starter because he throws strikes with his fastball. Right. Um, and he's not a strikeout guy because he's a command pitchability guy when he's just a fastball slider, fastball cutter guy. This year, what makes the difference in Nick Blackburn is the increased velocity and the development of his curveball and his changeup. And this is, again... Four sources outside the organization talking about Nick Blackburn in the Fall League where his charge was go to the Fall League, shelve your cutter, throw change-ups and curveballs, and work on those two pitches. And I had numerous sources saying that the change-up was average at worst, above average, uh, with some consistency for a couple scouts out there, and the curveball is solid average. And one scout specifically said if he just shelved the cutter slider, period, and just went fastball, changeup, curveball, this guy with his curveball, the curveball would get that much better. He's got a feel for spinning it. He just needs to work on it, throw it more often, and the strikeouts will go up. Um, all the data that I have, except for one data point, points to this guy as being a number three starter in the major leagues. The one data point that says no is the strikeout rate. His strikeout rate is low. Um, but there is no obvious number one in this system. Right. I think the fact that the other big issue in Nick Blackburn's career has been health, but the fact that he's been very durable the last two years, his, health, his, his weight's under control. Um, the knee, if the knee, which has been a problem in the past, and that's why he ballooned to 260 pounds because he couldn't condition, if the knee were an issue, he would not have been able to throw 190 innings this year. Right. I, I think this guy's ready to make a big league contribution in 2008. I was so, going to say, where will we see him I think he's going to be in Minnesota's rotation in 2008. Right. I know Ron Gardenhire was just quoted recently as saying Brian Dunsing is ahead of him in his mind. Um, I don't think Brian Dunsing has as good a stuff as Nick Blackburn. He's not shown he's been as durable. Um, I, I think that Nick Blackburn's better, straight up. I think he's better. I think that's the consensus view of people outside the Twins organization. So we'll see what happens. I'm pretty convicted, to use the Twins word, in Nick Blackburn. Um I'm also very convicted in Jason Pridey. I'm also very convicted in Wilson Ramos, the number three prospect, uh, who one member of the organization termed untouchable. That tells me this guy is a prospect. This tells me they think uh, internally he's probably their their top position prospect, along with Joe Benson. But there is no one in their system who marries tools with performance yet. So I went 
with the guy who has both, Blackburn, who actually does have both, and again, I think his tools are wildly sold short online in everything I've seen. Um, and then I went with tools and projection, and Joe Benson and Wilson Ramos, who have athleticism, uh, offensive upside, and play premium positions. Benson, a true center fielder. Ramos, a true catch-and-throw guy with power in his bat. So, Which uh, make a, for a good chat for you next week. I'm fired up, if you can't tell. All right. I'm fired up. Come, come with your question. I was actually thinking this. For, uh, for John basically, Josh, all morning I've been running through which rap lyrics I will open with. I think I'm just going to have Paris on a loop. Um, to be as angry as possible during that chat. I'm just going to crank the hate that Hay made and the right. devil made me do it the entire chat wow, on an endless Paris loop. Maybe make some P.E. in there. Get, get I'll, good in that's possible. And uh, I also was thinking there's there's plenty of Cypress Hill lyrics from their first record that would uh, uh, suffice. Um, I'm sure that there's, there's got to be some Send Dog lyrics in there somewhere I can mix in. So yeah. come, uh, come, come, prepared, uh, uh, come prepared next week. For the twins, uh, chat. I'm just um, over. I'm over fired up for that chat. So uh, we we were already 20 minutes into this podcast. Real quick, Josh, let's touch on uh, Richmond. The big news on, on your other beat, your business beat. Uh, the Richmond Braves will be no longer after the 2008 season. They're moving to Gwinnett County in Georgia. First, I guess the quick question is: Are you confident that Gwinnett will be ready for 2008? You think that ballpark will be 100% be ready? Yeah, I don't, I don't think it's unheard of a team in a stadium uh, within one year. Um, I, know that, I know that they're going to hold on to Richmond, uh, the Air National League, has um, put in a, a club there, so they're going to hold on to it uh, you know, as a backup plan, as a fail-safe. It's really too bad that uh, they already have the Iron Pigs ready to go. Because if Richmond had been available, i got to think you'd rather have the Richmond Lynx than the Lehigh Valley Iron Pigs. I'm just so down on the name Iron Pigs. It's not even funny. There's nothing against the Lehigh Valley. I hope that franchise succeeds. I just hope that they aren't the Iron Pigs. Well, they they, they certainly have Iron Pigs fever in, in Lehigh Valley. It was at Allentown. Uh, and I think um, they've they sold out a ton of season tickets up there. And they've got naming rights for the stadium and televising games. So. What's the name of their uh, mascot again? They had some controversy, didn't they? Yeah, they did. They named him Pork Chop, and then that was not right because uh, they had some controversy. Yes, and uh, in the Latino community, I believe that was uh, a slur. I believe that's which correct. They not, which they did not realize. Um, good luck with all that, Iron Pigs. But uh, Richmond, just really, like, really, just not a surprise, Josh. This is a. It's not a surprise. It's been a long time coming. The only surprise is that, that it really actually happened here. Um, I know that. They have been dissatisfied with the ballpark, and they've been dissatisfied, the Braves have, with uh, the piece of getting a new ballpark or even just getting the diamond renovated, uh, which has had long, had a long list of problems. And uh, like Mike Plant said, it wasn't servicing the players and it wasn't servicing the fans, so there wasn't much of a point in staying put. And Gwinnett County came, uh, came on strong, you know, really... Very quickly. I believe the hip hop problems is they came correct. They did come correct. And, uh, <laughs> I'm sorry. That's uh, just pitiful. And uh, they, they came correct and got done in four months what Richmond couldn't do in eight years. And that's really what it is. In this decade, the diamond went from being top of the line in the early 80s, pretty good in the 90s, to woefully inadequate behind the times and 
unfortunately, really unfortunately, kind of decrepit. All right, falling apart. Rat infested. Rat infested. Right. Um, structural issues. Right. Just a hundred percent inadequate for AAA baseball, really. Right. Yeah, and the fans, as a result, weren't coming out. I think for one of the IL playoff games last year, they drew uh, a thousand people, which is uh, not so impressive in a stadium that seats. And I know, I know that over the years the Braves had not given them a ton of talent, but this year's team was different. Nineteen, the 2007 team was different. They won the International League. They've been competitive the last couple of years. Um, so I think uh, the Braves were trying. The Atlanta Braves said, "We want to sal." In my mind, they said, "We want to salvage this relationship. Let's get something worked out here. We're going to send you players, show you that we care, give you a competitive team." And the city of Richmond did not respond quickly enough. Minor league baseball, as as, you know, as much as people want to see a winning team, it's really more about fan experience. But I do do think that the affiliate, the Richmond affiliate, and the city, they they do need to see see that the major league affiliate cares. They need to see the parent club gives a darn. And uh, I think they do. I think the Braves showed that, and the Atlanta Braves showed that. Don't you think? Yeah, they did. I mean, obviously there was success on the field, and and the Braves. Uh, you know, really, I mean, I, I, I do think that the Braves made every attempt to, to keep a team there. They, they uh, offered to pay an increase in rent um, just to, you know, to help out with the ballpark. And, uh, the city just couldn't get it done. And, you know, Bottom line. And, you know, they didn't want to pay, uh, they didn't want to pay uh, an increase in taxes to fund the ballpark. So. Well, gut feel, who do you, what do you think ends up in the – this is not. A, this is just an informed guess and opinion. What team or what league do you think ends up more? I guess more specifically, what league? Right. Be more not to be less specific. What league ends up in Richmond in your mind? I wouldn't be surprised to see uh, Eastern League team in there. I think that the, I think it goes down by affiliation as to who gets the, the first crack in there. And Richmond, the you know the biggest market in the International League, and certainly I believe will be the biggest market. Be right up there, that's for sure, yeah. in the Eastern League. And, and the Eastern League, and this is no offense meant to these franchises, has some franchises that are not as strong. Off the top of my head, and you correct me, Norwich, Binghamton, these seem like franchises that are vulnerable. These are, yeah, they're small market franchises. I would have thought that Erie would have been one of them, but they should sign a three-year extension to stay there. That was good news. I saw that. Uh, good news for Erie. The Tigers have definitely... Sent them competitive ball clubs as well. Yeah. Um, so, so they'll be staying put. So, but, I mean, I think there will be baseball in, in Richmond in, in 2009. Well, I think it's going to be the Carolina League. I think the Carolina League makes more yeah. sense for me. There's so many Virginia teams in that league already. Lynchburg, um, Potomac, Salem, uh, getting new ownership in 2009 with the Red Sox. Right. Well, you know, like, wouldn't, wouldn't the Red Sox wish they had uh, waited a month or two? Like he just kind of bought the Virginia, the Richmond uh, thing, helped build a ballpark in Richmond to their specific uh, details, sure. and had that team all to themselves in a great market. I mean, it would have made some sense. But uh, Potomac is, a, is one of those clubs that's having problems. They want to build a new ballpark, but you can't get any public funding down there in Woodbridge, Virginia, which has bigger issues than, than uh, they feel than a Carolina League sure. baseball team. Well, and then there's a South Atlantic League where the president has already – it's a new president, new president for life. And he's already said 
We drive through Virginia all the time. We'd love to stop. Right. So I think Richmond's too, way too big for the South Atlantic League. But, hey, so is Dayton for the Midwest League. So is Lexington for the Sally League. So. Right. It's not necessarily the, the size of the affiliate, but it's just what you can do. The size the of the profit you, <laughs> you can make. Uh, you know, so, Dayton has a brand-new ballpark. Yeah, a new ballpark and mixed in with uh, all sorts of businesses around there. It's a much different situation than, than what Richmond is. Well, we're on record. Your bet's on the Eastern League. Mine's on the Carolina League. We'll see who wins we're on the bet board in there. a podcast uh, six to eight to ten months from now. <laughs> we appreciate you guys putting up with this uh, longer version of the Baseball America podcast. Josh, uh, you got me fired up. You, should, you never brought up Nick Blackburn. Well, I saw Ronnie wheeling in the, the first batch of handbooks here. So That's awesome with a capital A. Let's go help him out. He's Josh Leventhal. Thanks for coming out. I'm John Manuel. We'll see you next week on the Baseball America podcast. So long, everybody. If you're a woman over 40 dealing with hot flashes, insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, or weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. The experts at Midi Health know all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes of menopause. And Midi can help with safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com.